Well, we've been working over these past few weeks through the book of James, and the, for those of you who are here just for the day, you're kind of jumping in partway through a series for us. What we've been thinking about is how the message of the gospel and how our lives can be expressed as we live them out together, because that's the reality, isn't it? We're called to live a life which is shaped by what we believe Uh, And to live our lives today shaped by what we believe. We know that as we look forward that the promise of the message of the Bible, the promise of the message of the gospel is this. That those who trust and believe in Jesus can look to an eternity which is safe and secure in him. Where our lives are lived out in satisfaction and hope and peace. And that's what we believe. That's what we declare. But... That doesn't mean that we just sort of sit here waiting for that to happen. Rather, the book of James particularly, which is in the New Testament, probably one of the most practical and down-to-earth books, says that we need to live our life shaped by the wisdom of God. That's a big thing. Because we live in a world which doesn't want to be shaped by any kind of wisdom other than our own. Kind of what we think, who we are, and and what I am is the absolute final decision on what I do. And the Bible says if you know Jesus Christ, if you have a relationship with him as your Lord and your Saviour, then your lives are changed with a new wisdom... A wisdom which is from God. And we're coming to a section this afternoon which talks about how we deal with that real problem which sits uh, inside our mouth, the tongue. How do we deal with this massive challenge of the tongue? Have you ever had one of those experiences? If you haven't, I would be very surprised. Uh, In fact, I would probably say that um, you've just not noticed it. You've probably said something to somebody uh, and not realised the impact of what you've said. Your tongue has run away with you, it's got the better of you, and either you have realised it and you don't feel very sorry, or you have realised it and you are sorry, or you haven't realised it at all. But the likelihood is that one way or another, your tongue has got you into trouble. And it's happening all over the place. In fact, we live in, in our society today, it's one of the big things. What have you said? Well, Richard Dawkins actually in the past few weeks has got himself into trouble. There's a whole load of newspaper articles that are now saying that some of the things that he's saying about other people... Who, who believe in, in a, an issue of faith or in, in the idea of God, he's actually being unfair and he's being unreasonable and, and we actually all have a right to believe and, and uh, his tongue's getting him into trouble. I don't have to mention football players, do I, to think about tongues getting them into trouble. Luis Suarez, wow, he's got himself into trouble with his tongue, hasn't he? Even more so because it was caught on camera. Or John Terry, he's got himself into trouble. His tongue has been caught on camera. Our tongue can get us into real issues. 
But as we look at these first few verses in James chapter 3, we see something quite interesting. What we see is that the main focus of this little section of the Bible is the power of the tongue in relation to leading people. In fact, this book, this chapter opens up by saying, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. That, for me, as somebody who has been called to, to be a pastor in a church and to be a teacher, is one of the most profound and sobering verses in the Bible. That those who are called to teach are going to be judged more severely, more critically, with a greater responsibility because of the implications of how we use our lips or our tongue. What we say has implications. Do you see what the way it's worked out? It, it starts talking about the tongue and it says... You need to realize that the tongue shapes the direction of the way people go. Now, as soon as I say that, what that implies is that every single one of us who have some sort of teaching, leading responsibility, then we have that responsibility before God. Because the way we use our tongue, the words that we use is extremely powerful. Look back through our history of this country, of this world, and think about some of those great people down through the years who have shaped the whole direction of history through words that they say. You see how massively important it is. What a great responsibility it is. And it starts right at the very top of those great sort of historical figures. The people, people like, I guess, Winston Churchill or people like that. But, but then we look at the way the tongue has been used so destructively by people like Hitler and by Stalin. People who have used their tongue in such a way to lead people and to shape people and actually to shape history in a way which is good or bad. What a massively important thing it is. But I think that it's got a really important thing for us to say in the church today. It's become quite, um, I guess in a lot of circles it's become quite unacceptable. The idea that somebody should have a leading role in shaping our thinking. And that is what the church has, doesn't it? It has people who are called to teach. And therefore, our responsibility is massive. In fact, I am responsible to you as the church to lead you, not according to my thinking... Not according to my ideas, but according to the thoughts and the ideas and the message which is declared in the Bible. And I want to give my church here 
my people here, I know we've got a whole load of visitors, I'm just going to mention to our church here just for a minute, I want to make sure that I give you the responsibility into the future that you need to continually ensure that I am measured, not by my thinking, but by the message of God. I'm responsible to you for that. Because I have no wisdom of my own, but rather the wisdom that comes from God. Because it's a massive thing. Verse 1 says that the responsibility is significant. It carries greater judgment. But the second thing, which gives me great hope, is that even though we carry great responsibility, we also fail. So all of us in our words, those of us who are teaching at times, fail. The message of Jesus, the one who holds my failures upon himself and bears my failures in himself on the cross, judged. My failure is going to be judged. And the great thing is, as it is for all of us, all of our failures are there on the cross. So that's great news. We see verse 3 and 4, and I think that this is where it starts to help us to see that this is primarily about the responsibility of words in shaping our direction. We see in verse 3 and 4 a little picture, which is two pictures actually, both same idea. One is the idea of a horse and the other is the idea of ships. I, I, I remember when I was a kid and uh, I've, I've ridden a horse, actually now, I've ridden a donkey once and I've ridden a horse once. Um, both were crises, both were disasters. The first one on a donkey was um, on a beach in North Wales and I was sat, at the, sat on this donkey at about the age of four and uh, the, it, this donkey had, had uh, they're called reins and this thing in its mouth called a bridle or a bit rather and the, the bridle comes around and it was tied to this, this handle on my saddle and uh, all of the donkeys wandered off in a straight line and uh, they were supposed to just follow each other only my donkey decided that it didn't want to follow everybody else. And it just turned left and took off. Absolutely took off. And it was running down the beach, and as a little one, my legs were bouncing everywhere. I was holding on to this handle uh, as best I could. I did not have control of the reins. I was just holding on. It ran into the sea, up to its knees, uh, turned around, and just kind of looked back to say right now come and get me and, uh, and the person who was um, in charge of the donkeys had to send his assistant wading out into the sea to retrieve my donkey now this verse says that if I had had hold of the reins I would have been able to control it if I'd, had a, I'd have been able to control it same with a ship a great ship massive ship is steered by a tiny little rudder at the back of the boat. You've seen it, I'm sure, in pictures, if you haven't seen it for real. Massive ship, tiny rudder, tiny rudder does all the steering. It shapes the direction of the whole thing. You see how powerful that is in the church. The words that are said, 
the ideas that are shared, the teaching that is given, shapes the whole thing. It stays in a good direction, it stays in a bad direction. So whether we are in amongst our friends, and we know that we have a responsibility right at that moment to use words wisely, or whether we're in our small group, or whether we're in our kids group, and we know that we're leading it, or whether we're in our life group, or whether we're in Christianity Explored, the words that we use shape the direction. How powerful is that? Verse 5 to 10 tells us that if teachers need to be aware, this is where it starts to widen out, the tongue is uncontrollable. Verse 5 says it's, in, it's tiny but incredibly powerful. Incredibly powerful. You might have heard the words, the kind of little, uh, the little uh, phrase, little poem, whatever you call it. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever had it said to you? Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's not true, is it? It's not true. We might like to encourage each other to remind ourselves that words don't matter, that we can actually stand up to that, but the reality is... Words hurt. Words have impact. Words affect. Now we today need to understand that. We need to take responsibility for that. We need to see that words that are used have a profound impact on us. We are entering into a whole new generation. A whole new way of communicating. A new society. A new way where words in this context are almost more than simply the tongue, actually our fingers can be the extension of our tongues in a massive way these days. Where our words that normally spill out from our tongue can spill out onto our screen in a moment. I think that that is just as relevant to this little section here in fact, that is saying to us today what I would expect James would be warning us about if he was here now. You need to understand that the words that spontaneously spill out and might end up on your tongue, in fact, let's be honest, we are far more likely to allow words to spill out onto our screen, whether it's through chat, whether it's through Facebook, whether it's through tweeting, whatever it might be, we are far more likely to allow un uncontrolled, unwise words to spill out in that context, even than our tongues. James wouldn't have believed what was possible. But we're living in a day where the uncontrollable tongue is far more visible. The uncontrollable tongue of Facebook and Twitter. The uncontrollable tongue which tells us that words do hurt. Do, do, do we have to really drill this in? Do we have to see and, and look back over the past years and see the number of cases uh, of suicides, 
because of cyberbullying. Friends' words hurt. And we, as God's people in this world, are called to reshape the way we live. Not because it gets us to heaven, but because we're going to heaven. Because we have been saved, live wisely. Therefore, let's start to live in a way which thinks before we type. Let's learn to live in a way which thinks before we speak, thinks before we tweet, so that we become those who are not shaped by what's inside, but rather are shaped by something different, because the tongue is incredibly powerful. We also see that it doesn't just affect those outside of us. Verse 5 says, yes, it's a powerful thing. The tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. But it also goes on to say, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it is itself set on fire by hell. That's a really complex bit of text, which we haven't got time to completely go into, but let me just say this, and think about this. The way we talk ends up being the way we live. You continue to use bitter language, and you will become a bitter person. You continue to use words which are pointed and, and aggressive and hurtful. You will become a, a, a grey, hard, uncaring person. We become shaped by the words that we use. It is an amazingly powerful thing that we see going on. How many people do you know? Maybe you can do this by looking in the mirror, if you're really honest. Where we realize when I look in the mirror and I think about my consistent language, the words that I continuously use, I realize that when I look at that, I am becoming a hardened person. Because all I ever speak is negative. All I ever speak is words which are critical and damaging and unhelpful. Do you see how powerful it is? And actually how self-destructive the tongue is. <laughs> no wonder James uses a whole chapter. If they'd had chapters when the Bible was first written. Certainly a big section of his letter. To say be careful how you use your tongue. It affects those around you. And it affects you. It shapes you in the end. It takes you ultimately on a course of destruction because you become what you say. So it's powerful, it's self-corrupting, it's uncontrollable and undomesticated. We see that we can control all sorts of animals but we can't control our tongues. It's an amazing picture that. The little picture that James uses in 7, uh, he says that animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed. 
But no human being can tame the tongue. That's, that's powerful, isn't it? Because the reality is that we can go even further than James. We can talk about being able to control and tame ideas and forces of nature. We can control things which James didn't even know existed, like atoms and molecules and, and, and electricity and all of those. We can control all sorts these days. We can control light, <laughs> but we can't control our tongues. Isn't it amazing how timeless the Bible is? James is saying we can control all sorts of animals. We can, can say that we control all sorts of technology. But the same thing remains consistent. We can't control our mouths. We can't control the impact it has on those around. We can't control the impact it has on us. That's amazingly consistent, the Bible, isn't it? How it continues to speak to us today. It's full of deadly poison and so contradictory. Look at verse 9. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. I think that applies to all of us, doesn't it? It's just who we are. We can come into a situation like this and we can sing, we can pray, we can praise God with our tongues and maybe within moments of the service finishing we can be using words which are destructive to people who are made in the image of God. Isn't that incredibly poignant? Isn't that really such a reflection of who we are. Earlier on in this book it says, are you the kind of person who looks in the mirror and walks away and forgets what you look like? Well, here we go. Are we the kind of people who look in the mirror of this little section and see that when we look in the mirror we're the kind of people who praise God and then we criticize people who are made in the image of God. There's the mirror. That's what we're like. How powerful. How incredibly challenging is that word. So it's contradictory. So teachers beware because the, the tongue is uncontrollable. Point three, there is visible wisdom. And the wisdom at this point is in inverted commas. Look at verse 11 and 12. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring, my brothers and sisters? Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt water produce fresh water. Here's the picture. What it is, is what it produces. That's the idea, isn't it? Have you ever seen a salt water spring? I've never seen a salt water spring. Certainly there's salt water springs at the bottom of the ocean where water is being turned around and pumped back out. You can get salt water springs that, that are near to, the, near to the coast as the waves come in underwater channels, bring salt water up out near to the coast and it spurts out. It looks like a stream, 
but it only flows as the tide comes in. So as the tide comes in, water gets pushed in, it flows out in its salt water. It looks like a freshwater stream, but it's not. It's salt water. Because the source of it, what it is by nature, is what it produces. Same with figs and olives, or apple trees, or whatever it might be. Don't plant an apple tree and expect bananas. Not going to happen. An apple tree produces apples. Bananas produce bananas. That's the way it works. Now, what about who we are? Jesus said that inside of us is a mess of corruption. Therefore, don't be surprised that what we produce is corrupt. There's the reality. Jesus said, from inside of man come all of the challenges of our very being. Our greed, our hatred, murderous thoughts, unfaithfulness, all of those characteristics which have shown the kind of the crushing and destruction of humanity. That's what pops out because that is the source. Now, the difference is that we have been recreated. Therefore, if we are recreated, we should little by little by little by little be producing something different. We should be changing. And when we fail, we've got the cross to resolve those issues of failure. And when we are, when we are producing good fruit, we give praise to God because it's him who's working in me. You see what's inside. We can't expect a wisdom from inside, a human wisdom. Let's look at how it continues. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. So there's a wisdom that's in this world that produces both words and actions which are consistent with envy and selfish ambition. History tells us that. If we look back over these past hundred or so years, we can see that people have been trying to work out what is the future of humanity. It's appeared in literature. Those of you maybe in literature at school, maybe you've been required to read some books. Anybody read Brave New World? Aldous Huxley. Some of you will have been required to read that. Some of you might have had to read Animal Farm or 1984 by George Orwell. Some of you might have read The Time Machine by H.G. Wells. What were all of those books about? They were all about looking forward and saying, where is humanity going to end up? And all of them, every one of them, were shaped by an ideal which was earth-centered, human-centered, selfish-centered. And all of them portrayed crisis and disaster. Because here's the thing. That this wonderful chapter concludes with wisdom that we need 
needs to come from outside of us. Look at how it concludes. The wisdom that comes down from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. This chapter concludes and says the reality is there's two kinds of wisdom. There's wisdom that is earthbound or there is wisdom that comes down from heaven. That's why that's kind of like a bookend to this this little section actually. Because if the beginning says teachers beware, it concludes by saying teachers make sure that you are applying a wisdom from heaven and not a wisdom from this world. A wisdom that comes from God and not a wisdom that comes from man. What does a wisdom from heaven look like? Firstly, it looks like Jesus. Isn't that amazing? What does wisdom come down from heaven look like? Jesus said, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. I've come from heaven to do the will of the Father. What does that look like? It actually looks like peace-loving, considerate, submissive. It looks like someone who is full of mercy and good fruit. It looks like somebody who is impartial and sincere. It looks like all of the characteristics of Jesus. Jesus fulfills all of those and becomes the wisdom come down from heaven. Now, here's the thing. How does that apply to us? Because after all, Jesus was here 2,000 years ago. Acts chapter Chapter 2 gives us an amazing picture. It gives us a picture which says that the continued presence of Jesus is found by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus continues to be present. He continues to be here in a sense. That's the message of Acts It's the message that the work of Jesus continues. Therefore, those who are filled by the power of the Holy Spirit need, need, by definition, to be little by little living out a different life. Living a life that is shaped by the Spirit. A life which is increasingly showing kindness. A life which is increasingly showing the sincerity and impartiality of heaven. And that is primarily found in the wisdom of what we believe. What has become rooted into us. The power that comes from outside within, which changes our thinking, changes our attitudes, changes our being, so that we become different people. Paul says to the church in Rome, be transformed 
by the renewing of your minds. In other words, he says this, think differently, you'll live differently. So think differently what? Think according to the teaching of Jesus and you will be different people. I want to encourage you this afternoon that when wisdom breaks in, it is a wisdom not from this world. It is a wisdom from outside of this world. It is a wisdom that we desperately need. It's the wisdom of the living God. It is a new power. It is a new authority. It is a new way of being. And the amazing thing, it is life-changing. 